till 98. Uh, we moved here to Moose Jaw in 98. So the previous time to that, we were living in Estevan, and we were youth pastoring at a church down there. And at the time, I had just finished uh, playing uh, junior hockey, and we'd moved from Malfort to Estevan, and we wanted to get chapels. I didn't know what a chapel meant at the time, but I just know when I played, I needed some spiritual guidance. So I went to the, the coach in Estevan and said, hey, we should have this thing called a chapel. And two players showed up to the very first chapel in 1994, and we continued to grow and build it to the point where um, when we moved to Moose Jaw, we moved here to become full-time hockey missionaries. Uh, we, we, we moved here on $400 of monthly support that we had raised, and we lived in Moose Jaw Housing Authority housing on Lillooet Street, and we traveled across Western Canada setting up chapel programs from Flint Flon to Seattle, and uh, in those short window of four years, it went from that one chapel in Esteban with the junior hockey team, the Esteban Bruins, to over 63 teams across Western Canada. And it was this dynamic thing where we were just seeing God at work opening dark doors in the sport of hockey because the doors of hockey had been closed shut for such a long time. At one of those moments in Estevan from ni- in 1996, um, I had one of the players um, that w- came to the chapel um, and he started coming to church and was interested in the things of faith and he got a scholarship to go down to the States and play hockey and messed up some things there. And then that following year when we moved here to Moose Jaw and started attending the Hillcrest Church, um, we, we were starting to work at Briarcrest and coach with the hockey team with John Bechtold out at, uh, out at Karenport with the Briarcrest Clippers. And I was helping Estevan that year, that summer between 97 and 98, with their camp. And this guy had come back from his university scholarship in the States and was sort of at the lowest of lows. He was sitting in the penalty box of all things. Um, and I came up to him and I said, what are you up to? And uh, he said, oh, I'm just going home to work in my dad's uh, tire shop. And I said, well, you know what? I'm coaching at Briarcrest. You should come to Briarcrest. And he laughed at me because <laughs> I think he knew a little bit about where, where it was, and uh, he's like, no, it's fine, I'm going back up north, and I said, well, you're, since you're driving by, I want you to stop in. Long story short, he came and played for us for a few years, uh, fell in love with Jesus, fell in love with his wife, and his legacy went on to the point where he went overseas and did some missions work, he coached for a very long time, and uh, had an impact wherever he was able to coach. <coughs> now let me fast forward and tie those two things together, the video that you just saw, of us winning the championship and the long-term legacy to start to pull it all together. <coughs> um, sorry. On April 6th, I was sitting in my office and uh, that night, we were supposed to have our awards banquet. The Trinity Western had their big, for all the sports teams. And because we had won, we were like, we were going to, we were supposed to have this, like, really big part of it. And they had that banner there and our trophy. And we were, it was, like, upstairs going. The event center, my office is downstairs. And we're getting all excited. Coaching staff was down there. We are like, okay, this is going to be our night to honor our guys. And as we sat there, I got a text from one of my players, Jarrett Fontaine. And uh, Jarrett Fontaine had uh, fell in love with Jesus at, at Trinity that season. And uh, the year before, Jarrett played in Humboldt. And uh, he was on the phone with the chaplain for the Humboldt Broncos. 
and uh, his, the chaplain's name is Sean Brando, and Sean said, as they approached the accident scene, he said to Fonzie, Fonzie, pray, the bus has been in an accident. And so Fonzie texted me saying, Barrett, pray, my junior team's bus has been hit. And I knew two things. I knew that Fonzie played for the Wayburn Red Wings and the Humboldt Broncos, and I knew that Wayburn was out of the playoffs. So I picked up my phone, and I phoned the coach of Humboldt. And he wasn't answering. The coach of Humboldt was Darcy Hogan, the same man that was at the chapel in Estevan that had gone down to the States, had come to Briarcrest and played for us for two years, and had this long-lasting legacy to the point where even in the playoffs, uh, he had told his chaplain, Sean Brando, he said, Sean, all I want you talking about in the playoffs is Jesus with our guys. Uh, we, uh, I, my wife came to the rink then, and uh, we had the awards banquet, and it was devastating. And I talked to my athletic director, and I just said, Jeff, I got to go. And he said, here's a credit card, whatever it takes, just get there. And I phoned a few other chaplains from a few other NHL and CFL teams, and we all met the next morning in Saskatoon. And it was uh, the hardest two weeks of my life in terms of ministry, but at the same time, it was the most sustaining and rewarding because of you could see the legacy that it had come full circle from those tough early days of getting phones hung up and slammed on you from managers to the point where here you were 25 years later seeing the impact that chaplains and faith-based coaches could have in a sport. And I, I don't want to sort of beat up. Um, I, I, uh, I, I, I spent some time blogging, so I'm, I'm not going to this morning get into a whole bunch of the details of that. If, if you go to my Facebook page and you scroll back through some um, some bike racing photos and some graduation photos and whatnot. Um, so you go back into that window around April. Every day I wrote a blog. They're long, so don't, don't expect us to read them in a short snippet. But you'll get the, the things that God was doing at that time. What I want to talk to you then in, um, out of that in terms of legacy stuff is um, my teams now, when we, like next Monday, we'll have our training camp. And the first question I'll ask the guys is, how many of you guys have been impacted by your chaplain playing junior hockey? And every guy, whether they come from a faith background, home or not, they put up their hand because a chaplain has invested into their lives playing junior hockey. Uh, Jarrett Fontaine is one of those guys. Uh, Jarrett uh, plugged into his faith at Trinity, and at Christmas time this year, he went back to Humboldt. Because Humboldt is his hometown. Not only is that the junior place that he played, but it's his hometown. And at Christmas time, Darcy invited him to come and share his faith story with his team. And at that moment, there was two of those players that gave their lives to Jesus. And, and Fonzie continues to have a legacy impact on that community because he's gone back there now this summer instead of staying in BC. He's gone back there this summer and he's been able to meet with families at, uh, and the, some of the surviving players. Uh, Darcy and Christina, the legacy that they have, um, 
if you watch the NHL awards, there's a new award this year called the Willie O'Ree Community Outreach Award or Community Service Award. And Darcy Hogan was the very first recipient of that. And his wife stood on the stage in front of millions of people that were watching the award show. And she made the statement that Darcy does not win this award tonight because he died on April 6th. He wins this award for all the stuff he did prior to April the 6th. In other words, she was saying his legacy will continue to live on in the lives of those players, in the lives of people that are still in that community, and through the legacy that will continue to be told about him and how he used hockey as a platform to honor God and to be a light for him in the kingdom-building process. I want to talk about the legacy that the chaplain, Sean Brando, and his church, the small little church, the Humboldt Community Church of about 60 people in the northern part of the town. A third of their mission budget was the Humboldt Broncos. Every player on the Humboldt Bronco team was adopted by someone in the church. That, that family then prayed for them, brought meals to them, put, packed goodie bags for them on the road. They continued to invest in that team on a daily basis. Uh, members of that church built had families to the point where even one of the families, Paul and Nancy, they lost two billet sons in the crash. So it wasn't just the community, but it was this church community that invested into the legacy of what was going on in Humboldt. And when you look back at Sean and the church there, and you look at Darcy and Christina and Fonzie and all the other chaplains that are around the league, and you ask them, or you ask, like, why... Have they made an impact? And they make an impact because they, they, they have an answer to the why. Why would they do those type of things? Because it's not easy being a coach. It's not easy being a chaplain. It's not easy building players. It's not easy going into a locker room as a former player to share your faith. But they do it because it's an opportunity. It's a platform to share Jesus. They want to do everything that they can to honor God with this platform. So... When you look at every time I come here, I share the same verse from Matthew 5, 14 to 16 in terms of uh, let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I can't stress that more enough. Wherever you are at, do everything to the best of your ability that you honor God with everything that you absolutely have. Because another verse then that comes really prominent here is John 10, 10, that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says that I have come to give you life and love life abundantly. My two weeks in Humboldt after the crash would have and should have and could have looked like death warmed over, but it was full of life. I felt every day sustained by your prayers. I felt encouraged to go in there and continue to be a shoulder to lean on and someone to cry with and to someone to pray with. But I couldn't have done any of that without you guys and others around the world that were praying for that situation. Um... When, when you continue to do these type of things and, and, and swing them all together, six years ago we started a, a, a semi-pro cycling team that we thought, okay, let's go and swing for the fence and use cycling as a platform to share Jesus. And it was no different than it was 25 years ago when I'd phone the Wayburn Red Wings and they'd hang up the phone on me and say, get lost. In the sport of cycling, they were saying, we don't need you, get lost. We don't need any kind of chapel services. We don't need any kind of chaplain. And two days after I left from Humboldt, we were on our way to California for a bike race. And from California, um, in the middle of April until last week, um, at, a, at a bike race in eastern Canada, and every point in between that we raced from April until now, with the top pro teams across North America and some from around the world, that one picture you see up there of Josh racing was with three other guys from other parts of the world. 
we would go and we would be in the caravan following the race and we would do these like long, you know, they'd be 150 kilometers at 50 kilometers an hour and then they'd get up and do the next thing or the very same thing the next day, these long stage races of five, six, seven days. And every night when the athletes would go back into the athlete's village and have their food and get their massage and go to bed, I would be in the parking lot, like a NASCAR parking lot with all the vehicles, but there's all the bikes and we were cleaning them up and getting them ready for the next day. And every night, until the wee hours of the night, every GM, every owner, every director of all those teams stood in my tent. I felt like an evangelist because they wanted to know how a chaplain could make an impact. Because they'd read the blog about my time in Humboldt and they saw how a chaplain can have an impact. And so they wanted to know, even this morning, one of the owners from the team's phoned me. He's like, he want, Baird, I want to talk to you at 2 o'clock today. Two years ago, that guy wouldn't even walk across the street to spit on me. Uh, this is all good stuff. I'm sorry for crying. Um, let me leave you with these three things. Uh, the first thing is thank you. Uh, like I said, right, uh, we, we, we covet your prayers. We, we know that you guys, um, I, when I walked in this morning, I love seeing the, the new prayer room. I think that's fantastic. And I and, uh, love just coming in whenever I get a chance to, to be here with you guys and just go in there and just, uh, just sense the presence of God's people on their knees and, and seeking uh, the face of God for and standing the gap for kids at mega sports camp and for Joe's place and everything else like I, that is that's powerful and I'm telling you from the front lines whether it's in Humboldt or whether it's in a game clinching championship series on the bench and you're stressed out beyond control I know that people are praying for us and we love that and appreciate it um, I thank you for your support um, it, it, it costs money to do the things that we're doing and we, we greatly appreciate it. We can't do that without it. Um, I thank you for praying for Trinity. As you know, they've just lost the court case. Um, and, and right after the court case for the law program was fought for, um, the two other degree programs that we have in terms of education and nursing were at the door with their legal team saying, we're going to sue you guys if you don't change that covenant. And so they have, our board has been forced, we've been bullied to step down from our community covenant. But at the same time, it's emboldened us to make sure that everything that we do on our campus and everything that touches our campus will know about Jesus. So it'll be forced upon us as staff and the board and anyone, all the alumni, to be able to continue to stand up and say, we will be a light, even if this document is being forced to be thrown in the garbage of our covenant, we will stand up and be a light. But we need prayer from that or for that because it will continue to come down at us. There will continue to be threats. There will continue to be lawsuits. There will be everything that you can imagine. But we'll continue to stand and be a light for Jesus. I ask that you continue to pray for Josh and Katie as they get married next weekend. And um, in the midst of their plans and everything else, that you would just uh, lift them up and hold them up in prayer. The second point I want to leave you with is legacy. Where is your legacy? Where are you leaving your legacy? Don't, 
don't try to steal our legacy. And I don't say that in a selfish way. I say that in a way that God has placed you where you are for a purpose. If you try to steal what we're trying to do in the sports world, the skates won't fit or the bike isn't going to be the right size for you. God has uniquely created and crafted you for where you are. The only way that we have an impact in the world of hockey, in the world of cycling, is because we are there. We are, we are his feet and his hands. That We, we are like the, the skin that people can put and attach the words of Jesus to. And the same thing is wherever you are at, that's where you can leave your legacy. And there's going to be tough days. There's going to be days where your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, they're going to say, I don't need Jesus. The culture in your community is going to change. You're going to have to find different ways to bring Jesus into it. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. And it's going to maybe take 25 years. But I'm telling you, at some point, those people will come up to you and say, I see Jesus in you. Why? And it's only because you've been there and you've left that legacy. So don't doubt yourself. There's so many times that we just say, ah, it's not happening right away. Like the microwave button just doesn't get this going quick enough. But it might take 10, 15, 20, 25 years for the fruit to be there. So hold on to that. Don't give up on that. Build your legacy. And then the last thing is, I've sort of connected it in here, is just to know your why. When it gets tough, when, when it's hard, when you get that text saying that there's such a tragedy or when you lose a championship or when you crash your bike or when you fail a class or when you screw up, it's hard. And it's easy to give up and just say, well, I'm going to go and change gears and change directions and go pump gas or cut grass or do something else that just doesn't involve anything what God has me called to. It's easy to go and do that. But I want to encourage you to find your why. Our why is that we want to allow the platform of hockey and cycling to be a platform that we tell other people about Jesus and honor him, that it's a praise performance. Everything we do is honoring him. Because if your why is to go and tell people about Jesus so you can keep Pastor Steve happy, you're going to be miserable. If your why is to tell other people about Jesus so you can keep your spouse happy or try to impress the people in your prayer group or in your study group or if your purpose is just to, you want to have notches in your belt because you, it's cool to say, why well, I led so-and-so to Christ. The person that does those things and has that as their motivation fails every time. Your motivation has to be from Matthew 5, 14 to 16, that your light shine and may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Don't do anything else for other any selfish ambition, but only to honor God. And I come back to the first point of we stand here before you as our family with humility. And we trust God for the next step. I don't know what it's going to be, but we're excited for it because he has proven himself over the last 25 years. And, and as we continue to see him at work in the sport of, well, in anything, really, not just one limited to sport, but when we see him at work and we look back 25 years, we can say, oh, yeah, like all those times getting hung up on or driving to Flin Flon and hitting two deer or going over to Seattle and getting lost and living in Europe and getting robbed and all the different things that we've come across over the years, you look back and you say, okay, God, you brought us through that so that this could happen at this moment in time. So again, thank you.
leave your legacy, and find your praise performance is always back towards him. Thank you for your time. Come on? Yeah. Well, that was encouraging, Mary. That was incredibly encouraging. Let me just, uh, I'm going to just shift gears a little bit here, and I want to share some scripture. As you were, as you were sharing, Barrett, some scripture came to mind and out of 1 Corinthians, and um, it just talks about the mentality of the, of the person on mission, the mentality of the person on mission. And, uh, and I was hearing that through what you were sharing, and I thought I'd just share uh, the way that the Apostle Paul uh, talked about it. He said, though I'm free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like those under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, etc. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I become weak, to win the weak. You hear the common thread? God has called us to win people to himself. God has, wants to use us in that process. He, wants to, he makes us his ambassadors in the world. To win the weak I become weak, to win, uh, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I'll read that again. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And then he goes on to the great athletic metaphors. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Uh, someone shared with me a word this morning. I didn't know where it might fit, and then I realized it probably fits right here. Um, and this was the word, just sort of a bit of a visual. So imagine this picture. Uh, you're sewing, and you're making a pair of leather boots. And leather boots are not something that is... Uh, you know, at first when you're working with leather, it's, it's really sort of firm and difficult. But as you're sewing and you're making these leather boots, it's, it's quite the process. It's a hard process. It's a long process to make boots from hand. And then when the process is done, though, you have something strong, durable, usable, and something that will take you on a long, long, it'll take you a long way. And perhaps the process that God has it on in you in right now is like that. It feels like 
well, it's, it's so much preparation or it's taking so much longer, just like Barrett would have felt when he was getting all the rejections. No, you can't have a chaplaincy program here. No, we're not interested in what you've got. We don't see any point in it or any value. And you might be right there too where you're saying, well, what I feel God wants me to do, I'm putting my efforts towards that, but it just doesn't seem like there's any fruit, doesn't seem like there's any results, uh, yet it seems like I'm supposed to be going this direction. You know, the scriptures say, don't become weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap a harvest if you do not faint. So maybe this morning just the word to you is to, is to give up. If you want to have a legacy, if you want to have something that, that bears much fruit, if you want to see a harvest that's multiplied in your life, if you want God to use you in ways that you didn't think maybe he could use you, it requires persistence. It requires, like Paul said, I beat my body, I make it my slave, I, I make decisions, I respond to God's leading in such a way that I can have the results that God wants to have in my life. And so the call to persistence, the call to, uh, to follow God in where he leads us, the call to obedience, uh, I want to sh- just want to leave that with you this morning. And I'm going to ask you to stand and, and we're going to pray together. Worship team, do you want to come on back? So this is a question I'll ask you. What, what is the area of your life, what, what is that area that God is calling you to persist in? To not give up. To not, maybe there's something God's saying, I, I want you to, to work in this area, but you, you've, you've laid it aside. And God is calling you back to pick that up again and to continue. Let's take those things before him, okay? So I just want you to open your hands. Just open your hands. And I want you to visualize in your hands is the area that it's hard for you to persevere. I'm talking about an area where you're pretty clear that this is what God wants you to follow through on. Maybe you've had some direction from the Lord. Maybe you've tested it with other believers. You've said, you know, I, I think this is maybe where God's leading me and, and, and people are giving you confirmation and you have a sense, okay, I really think God wants me to persevere, but it's actually hard. It's actually quite difficult. And I, I don't, I want to throw in the towel quite frequently. And yet God has been, if God is leading you into it, he'll provide the results. All that we need to come is in obedience, in responsiveness. Not an obedience that, is, is in, that we, we do in order to, to earn God's favor. That's already been done by Christ on the cross. But an obedience that responds to what Christ has done on the cross. Responds to his, his, his gracious generosity in our lives. His lavish love pours on our lives. His acceptance and forgiveness poured into our lives, all those things. And they're just saying, wow, I've already got that. I've already got that. And now I want to give my best efforts to the Lord. So in that area, as we open our hands, Lord, we, we ask you. Lord, we ask you for a persevering heart. Lord, it may take 
more time than we thought it would take in order to establish the things that you want to establish in our lives. But Lord, we ask that you'd help us persevere. You help, we ask that you'd help us to form the patterns in our lives, the, the way that you call us to live in such a way that these things are sustainable and doable. We ask you to lead us. And Lord, we ask you for each day that you, we, we would just um, remind ourselves of who we are in you. So that we don't give up. We don't run after something else to be our identity. But we recognize we're your representatives in the world. You made us sons and daughters. You made us ambassadors. You made us your children. It's all your work that you did. And we're just responding to it. We're just responding to it out of gratitude and joy because you brought us into partnership with you. So Lord, would you sustain us? Would you guide us? Would we lean into you as the all-sufficient one as you lead us into mission in this world? In your name, amen.